people and against yourself. Wait, I bought you, Nancy, from doing harm. Harm against other people and harm against yourself. Wait, I bind you, Nancy, from doing harm. Harm against other people and harm against yourself. I bind you. Listen to the color of your dreams Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. That's right. Bringing you some more Frenemies talk this February. And how soon is now? How soon is To talk about the craft. (laughs) That is always life's question. I'll see this now <laughs> to talk about the craft. Maybe we'll answer that in this episode. Okay. I've been looking forward to covering this movie for quite some time on the podcast. I feel like we've been talking about it a lot and it's sort of like snuck its way in this month and it really fit well. And it'd been a long time since I had seen it. Yeah. So it's been on our top 10 high school horror, I think. And we yeah. flirted with the idea of doing it. And finally, yeah, we just put it in the month of love because, you know, it seemed to fit with Heathers. It seems to fit with a couple of other things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so. So here it is. Here we are. That's right. The Craft is a 1996 American teen supernatural horror film directed by Andrew Fleming from a screenplay by Peter Filardi and Fleming himself. The film stars Robin Tooney, Veruza Balk, Neve Campbell, and Rachel True. I always say Nev. I say Nev Campbell. Yeah. But I keep hearing people say Neve. Mm, they're wrong. Okay. It follows four outcast teenage girls at a Los Angeles parochial high school. Does that mean Catholic? Mm-hmm. Who pursue witchcraft for their own gain and subsequently experience negative repercussions. The music for the film was composed by Graham Ravel and features a fairly killer soundtrack. My God, the soundtrack. Can we talk about it? <laughs> the concept for the craft came from a collaboration between producer Douglas Wick, who wanted to create a film about the high school experience blended with witchcraft and screenwriter Peter Filardi, who extensively researched the topic and wrote the initial draft. Production enlisted a real-life Wiccan named Pat Devon to act as an on-set advisor for the film. How rare. How rare. She wrote the incantations used and ensured that the treatment of the Wiccan subject matter was accurate and as respectful as possible. We are the Weirdos listeners. This is The Craft. To the other kids at St. Bernard Academy, they were the girls who didn't belong. Whatever you do, stay away from them. Why? They're witches. But after years of being on the outside... Why'd you lie about me? I don't want to go out with you again. Please, stop begging. It's pathetic. Four girls are about to discover the dark side. You ever heard of invoking the spirit? Black magic. We can make things happen. I mean, this is it. This is real. Columbia Pictures welcomes you to the witching hour. Check it out. Her spell is working. Sit. <laughs> Can you say I go about things the wrong way? I am here, but I need love. Just like everybody else. 
weirdos. Watch out for those weirdos. <laughs> we are the weirdos, mister. Sarah Bailey, played by Robin Tooney, a beautiful but troubled teenage girl with unusual abilities and a bad wig, just moved from San Francisco to Los Angeles with her father and stepmother. At her new school, she forms a friendship with a group of girls who are outcasts for a variety of reasons and are rumored to be bitches. Witches. Bonnie Harper, played by Neve Campbell. <laughs> or Neve Campbell bears burn scars all over her body from an auto accident. Nancy Downs. What? That sounds like a fucking racetrack. Let's go to Nancy Downs. Nancy Downs, played by Faruja Balk, may actually have Downs. <laughs> Lives in a trailer with her white trash mother and abusive stepfather. And Rochelle Zimmerman, played by Rachel True, an African-American girl, is subjected to racist bullying by a group of popular white girls led by Laura Lizzie, played by Christine Taylor. The three girls worship a powerful earth deity they called Manon. Sarah becomes attracted to the popular Chris Hooker, played by Skeet Ulrich, a popular football jock who may actually be a hooker, based on the diseases he spread throughout the school. After Bonnie observes Sarah levitating a pencil in class, she and the other outcast girls are convinced that she can complete their coven and join them as the fourth, completing an air-water-earth fire circle with the potential to make them all-powerful. When Sarah is harassed by a vagrant with a snake, whom she had encountered before in her new house, he is immediately hit by a car. The girls believe their combined will caused it to happen, which strengthens their bond even more. After a date with Chris, Sarah is upset that he spread a false rumor that they had sex and she was terrible in bed. When Sarah confronts him, he treats her disrespectfully in front of his friends. The girls get together and Sarah casts a love spell on him. Rochelle casts a revenge spell on racist bully Laura Lizzie, who may actually be a Lizzie. <laughs> Bonnie casts a spell for beauty, and Nancy casts a spell for power. The spells are successful. Chris becomes infatuated with Sarah. Bonnie's scars on her back miraculously heal. Rochelle's bully, Laura the Lizzie, begins losing her hair. Nancy causes her stepfather to have a fatal heart attack, enabling her and her mother to cash in on his life insurance policy and move into a luxurious high-rise apartment. With all this newfound success, Nancy becomes power-hungry and encourages the others to join her in a rite called the Invocation of the Spirit. Despite being warned against the spell by Lirio, the owner of a local occult shop and practicing witch. Upon completion of the spell during a dark and stormy night at the beach, Nancy is struck by lightning and the girls black out. The following morning, the other girls see Nancy walking on water with beached sharks and other dead animals littering the shore. In the days that follow, Nancy becomes increasingly devoid of empathy and engages in risky behavior that endangers her life and those of others, like ignoring traffic laws and wearing excessive lip liner. <laughs> so 90s. The spells the girls cast eventually lead to negative consequences as Bonnie becomes aggressively narcissistic. Rochelle finds Laura Leslie traumatized by her baldness and sobbing hysterically, and the obsessed Chris attempts to rape Sarah after she rejects his continual advances. In supposed retaliation, Nancy uses a glamour spell to make herself look like Sarah and attempts to fool Chris into having sex with her at a party. 
She is interrupted by the real Sarah, who tells Nancy to leave with her, but it becomes obvious that Nancy's desire to control Chris is mixed with feelings of unrequited love. Upset at being fooled, Chris says Nancy must be jealous, infuriating her, and she uses her power to kill Chris by telekinetically throwing him out of a window. Carrie. Sorry, Cassie. Shaken, but not... (laughs) Shaken, but not stirred. Sarah attempts a binding spell to prevent Nancy from doing more harm. Harm against others, and harm against herself. But it doesn't work, and the coven turns on her. Sarah seeks out Lirio for help, but after receiving an illusion that half the building explodes, she changes her mind and leaves before Lirio can offer that help. They invade her dreams, torment her with visions of swarms of scorpions, snakes, rats, and insects, and maggots, and make her believe that her family has died in a plane crash. The rest of the coven then try to induce Sarah to commit suicide. And after ambushing Sarah at her house, Nancy cuts Sarah's wrist with a big emo knife. Sarah runs upstairs to her room bleeding and successfully invokes the spirit and is able to heal herself and fight back. She frightens Bonnie and Rochelle away by showing them glamours in a mirror of Bonnie with her face scarred and Rochelle losing her hair like Laura the Lessie. Nancy loses it and lunges across the room at Sarah like a crazed, knife-wielding muppet. (laughs) Sarah ultimately defeats Nancy and magically binds her, preventing her from causing harm forever. Bonnie and Rochelle, finding their powers gone, visit Sarah to attempt reconciliation, only to find that she wants nothing to do with those bitches, and that Manon took their powers because they abused them. They scornfully mutter that Sarah must have lost her powers too, but Sarah then makes a tree branch nearly fall on them with a strike of errant lightning. She warns them to be careful not to end up like Nancy, who has been committed to a psychiatric hospital, her powers bound, delusional, and strapped to the bed as she desperately insists that she can fly. I can fly! The end. He's still inside her. (laughs) You feel him inside me! (laughs) These are my gifts! Kermy. Oh, she is fucking Muppety Kermy. <laughs> These are my guests. <laughs> Where's her Oscar? I mean, like, really? You are sickened by the weakness of a heart that's The Craft was released on May 3rd, 1996 on over 1,700 screens. It earned 6.7 million opening weekends, securing the number one spot at the box office. Other films in the top 10 that week included The Birdcage, Primal Fear, James and the Giant Peach, and Mulholland Falls. Really? Random. The film would prove to be a hit, remaining in the box office top 10 every week of its run. Ultimately, it would gross $55.6 million against a reported budget of $15 million. Wow. You'd think it would have gone on forever then usually if something is number one they don't pull it out no they don't but i mean it came out in may obviously and like summertime is stacked so they had to make room for things right the craft holds a 57 percent on rotten tomatoes with an audience score of 65 percent the site's consensus reads quote the crafts can't be magic often overrides the feminist message at its story's core but its appealing cast and postmodern perspective still cast a sporadic spell. Sporadic. Not always. 
Sometimes. Mm. <laughs> I learned that word in Clueless. That's right. I hope not sporadically. <laughs> Be seeing ya. <laughs> Critics didn't particularly love the craft upon release, though. Emmanuel Levy of Variety described it as a neatly crafted film that begins most promisingly as a black comedy a la Heathers, but gradually succumbs to its tricky machinery of special effects. Roger Ebert also felt the film was mired in excessive special effects, but praised the performances of the four leads. Stephen Holden of the New York Times echoed other reviews, praising the first half of the film as a celebration of adolescent nonconformity and female independence, but criticized the last half as a heavy-handed sermon about karma with garish special effects. I don't think of this movie as just like super special effects laden. It's not, but I noticed on this rewatch and I, I made a note, I jot down that as the movie continued, the special effects seemed to get worse and worse for me. Like obviously fake looking and it's just it's from 1996. You know what I mean? So yeah. Almost fucking 30 years old at this point. So clearly, but if these people at the time were like, eh, you know, yeah, I guess I just, I never minded them as a, when I, I watched this as a kid. Yeah, when I was a teenager watching this movie, I didn't think it was bad. Yeah, I guess I wasn't a kid. I was a teenager, but... but yeah, I mean, but like on this rewatch, I I noticed there were some things and I was just like, oh, okay, I can, I can see where they're coming from, I guess. Yeah. Rita Kempley of the Washington Post called it a brew of Hawthorne, Heathers, and Hollywood Hocus Pocus. That was nonetheless a bubbling mess of a movie that leaves us more bothered than bewitched. I tried hard to find a like positive review from the time a contemporary positive review and that was the most positive i can find and even that is not very positive wow you know i'm just also i'm happy to see that a lot of reviewers are comparing it to heathers yep right Mm -hmm. so that adds validation for me and you that we placed it with heathers that's right and like we talked about in heathers like that movie paved the way for other films like the craft like obviously sure so yeah it just shows that like you know, female frenemies, high school movies like that are just are just popular, I guess. That's right. It does have some accolades and legacy at the MTV Movie Awards. It won Best Fight for the Faroja Bach and Robin Tooney, you know, witch smack slapdown. Okay. The Muppety, the Muppety Smackdown? Mm-hmm. Muppety Smackdown. Tricky, 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 tricky. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite line deliveries. <laughs> tricky, tricky, tricky. <laughs> I thought you were doing... <laughs> beastie boys or whatever <laughs> no that's not the beastie boys or rum dnt what the fuck am i talking about at the fingoria chainsaw awards it was nominated for best wide release film best actress for feruza Balk and robin tooney and best supporting actress for rachel true along with best screenplay hmm. at the saturn awards it was nominated for best supporting actress for feruza Balk, but she lost to alice krieg which she should have because right. alice krieg had an amazing year playing the board queen that's right and it was nominated for best horror film but it lost to scream which is you know no skin off of neve campbell's scarred back no i know <laughs> like what a good year for her obviously and scream is a superior film to the craft i mean in in like horror canon it is vastly superior well first of all it's a straight horror movie yes with Nothing a twist about it. versus the craft we're gonna have an interesting discussion about that that's right we are Mm-hmm. The film is often labeled as a cult classic and has acquired a loyal fan base and social media presence. The Huffington Post in 2016 praised the craft for departing from cliches of the teen movie genre and incorporating darker themes, saying it became, quote, part of the 90s teen canon and a cult classic of its own merit. I almost said canon. <laughs> canon. <laughs> like Manon. <laughs> or whatever his name is. <laughs> 
Complex magazine praised the relevance of the film 20 years later, saying it feels much more progressive than many of the movies that came out today and calling the viewing of the film a rite of passage for young women and gay boys. Don't forget the gay boys complex magazine. I don't know what that is. Clearly. Yeah. I was like, what is this? After that snippet, they were like, you're out of business. (laughs) Angelica Jade Bastian, a vulture wrote the craft earned a generation of devoted fans because of how it charts the friendship between these four girls, its tentative beginnings, the joys of its strength and its ultimate downfall and singled out Farouja Block's fierce performance as perhaps the craft's greatest legacy. She's a beguiling and fearsome portrait of female anger. That's right. She yeah. is. Muppety. Muppety. <laughs> yes. Damn it. We are in sync today. <laughs> a standalone sequel, The Craft Legacy, was released by Blumhouse to VOD Markets in October 2020, with Feruza Balk making a cameo appearance at the very, very end. The film received mixed reviews from critics and failed to make a splash in the same manner as the original, with 48% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 24% audience score. Wah, wah, wah. It's funny. You- that's less than 10% difference with the critics, though. Yeah. I um, have you seen this? No, I refuse because, like I said, we talked about during the thing. The thing exists, and it's going around impersonating good movies, becoming really bad ones. A copy of a copy. So, uh, fucking Blumhouse is behind it all I, for real. I'm really starting to get a little pissy with them about shit. They need to like leave it alone. When this movie, when when they announced that they were going to be making sort of like a reboot sequel remake thing of the craft like i have a friend who's she's not a horror fan but she loves the craft and i mean she was like posting shit on my facebook timeline like every time there was news and i was like i don't know i don't know how i feel about this and then the movie came out and i was like no i'm not gonna watch it like i just don't want to yeah well, usually we don't talk about the cast, you know, uh, other than a, as a part of other discussions. But like with Heather's and like with this movie, we've got like a kind of a treasure trove. Yeah. Especially this movie, oh, I want to yeah. say. Right. Led by Robin Tooney as Sarah Bailey. Who I remember fondly from Empire Records. Of course. As a teenager. And that's like, it. Yeah, that's that's really it. She was in, she's in other things, too, like randomly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I... Empire Records and the Craft like ha- held a special place in my heart around this time period, and like they both had amazing soundtracks and shit like that. And they're just very, very '90s. And I, when I think of Robin Tooney, I just think about the mid '90s. Yeah, that's it. so that's right. Although she is on TV in a big way, I think she was on The Mentalist for a, a lot of seasons, mm-hmm. you know, and, and she looks great, you know. Yeah, she's, she's still around, yeah. and she's not a bad actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like for for what she's given, what she does, I mean. She's been in some other genre stuff too. Like I think she was in like End of Days or yeah, something she's, like that. Yeah. She's a good actress. And so is Feruza Balk, right? Uh, yeah. Of course, she has a much more illustrious early career. Mm-hmm. You know, her first role ever was Return to Oz. Which is a frightening film and amazing gateway horror. Yes, it is. And I think that she's especially good in this movie. Yes, she is this movie, right? Yeah. She is iconic in this movie. Yeah, for real. I I feel like she's she's the number one cast takeaway from this. I mean, uh, even though Robin Tooney is the lead, I f- I kind of feel like they share a lead spot, right? Because they she, do. Yeah. Well, Robin Tooney is the audience, right? She is the the lead. She's the good guy. She's the protagonist. Faruza Balk, in many ways, is the antagonist. But at the same time, she gets a lot of stuff to do. Right? She gets to be this fucking you know bitch. And angry at the world, but also vulnerable, right? And we, she gets those scenes where she gets to be uh, vulnerable and have, and and they really do go out of their way to show her motivation, and that's really kind of rare. I mean, I completely agree with you, and I, I feel like 
in in combination with with the performances, right? I feel like they did a really good job with the the, the screenplay, right? I, they the way that these characters are presented, we get to see them have full arcs, like all of them. Oh yeah, watching this movie, I was thinking this is so economical. Like the first like ten minutes, you know that she's moved there, like the the her the vibe of that high school, like who these people are, like it's really economic storytelling, and a lot of it's visual, you know. And then uh, when they get into like the story beats, they go into like an almost montage to show each character like back to back with just like no segues each character's like trouble that they're having, you mm-hmm. know, like they have Campbell's scars and, you know, like the swimming lesson, you know, with um, Rachel True's character, you know, and the racism. And then you see uh, Frusa Balk in her trailer, you yeah. know, uh, as Nancy Downs. And so it's, it's really economic and gets through that kind of like setup really, really quickly. No, and I, I agree. And I feel like, like, from the very first moment that you see Faruza Balk, right, you see Nancy, that character, and that that little short intro where they're chanting, right? She looks like a fucking villain, right? They show that look on her face, and I was just like, this movie sets everything up for you in such a really good way. And I don't know, I just, I really feel like... But it also shows that hurt people hurt people, you know? Yes, I mean, that's true. I mean, like, motivations for things and whatnot are, are present, like you said. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, I just really... I really enjoy Faruza Balk in this movie. I like to watch her progression to like just batshit crazy by the end of it. Right. And it works and it feels natural. It feels like it's the right thing to do. And I mean, she, she really took a good screenplay and a good part and added something to it. Like I really can't see anybody else doing this role. No, I can't. No. Although, uh, you know, that's not true for the, for the next character. Right. Like I feel like Nev Campbell's character of Bonnie could have been played by almost anyone. Yeah. You know, and what I didn't really think much of her character. I remember that wow moment when she walks into class after her scars have healed and she's wearing a lot more revealing garb, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because before that, you know, she's, you know, wearing, you know, jackets up to her eyeballs, you know. Yeah, she's she's bookish. And then I remember seeing Scream and being like, oh, my God, that's the chick from the craft, Uh you know. And of course, I wasn't watching Party of Five at the time because she was the most. Apparently, she was the most popular character on Party of Five on TV at the time. Her and Jennifer Love Hewitt really like took off from that show. Okay, right. So um, <laughs> they led their own franchises. That's right. I mean, and so they both went into lots of genre stuff and um, and were very very popular. You know, like post nineteen ninety six, like Neve Campbell and um, Jennifer Love Hewitt were fucking everywhere, just everywhere. So, but you're right. I feel like anybody, any it girl at the time. Could have played that. Fucking Jennifer Love Hewitt could have done it. You know, you can you can yeah. kind of swap anybody in there. I do like Neve Campbell a lot, though. I like it when I see her in things. I still like Neve Campbell. I don't know. <laughs> we keep <laughs> pronouncing I her name wrong. <laughs> I know, even though I just said Neve Nev. Neve Nev. Neve Nev. Yeah, I'm, I've been saying both. And then we have Rachel True as Rochelle Zimmerman, who is surprisingly good in this movie. Like I I I didn't know who she was at the time, right? But I think she's excellent she is but she doesn't have as much to do as the others she doesn't but when she's on screen i think that she has she has presence i feel like she does i I feel like out of out of the three you know the the three that robin tooney's character like joins his friends i think that she's the most genuine and like heartfelt i would have said that about bonnie before you know surgery yeah i i just i feel like I feel like she's more of the mother to the group or whatever. Cause, cause even, even like whenever, whenever Sarah gets almost raped, right. By Chris, who does she go to first? She goes straight to Ra- to Rachel tree's character. Yeah. 
And so, um, yeah, I just feel like, like she's like the emotional center, the heart of the group really. Yeah. I feel, and I, and maybe it's because what she's experiencing in school or whatever, that just makes me sort of like empathize with her or, or, or sympathize. Right. Maybe that's it. I feel like what's happening to her is, is the least personal, right? Mm-hmm. The the bully even explains to her, I'm a racist, basically, right? Yeah. Versus it's something about her specifically, you know? Like, this isn't about your personality or what you're wearing or, like, what you look like or, well, obviously, it's what you look like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's not personal, like, you know, I have burn scars all over my body or I live in a trailer with an abusive stepfather, you know, or things like that. And I'm not trying to, like, downplay it doesn't make it any less horrific. No, it's experience. certainly horrific. Yeah. Moving on to the guys, right? So we've got Skeet Ulrich, who was also in Scream. That's right. You know, his career kind of falls off, too. Like, all of these people's careers kind of fall off. Except for Nev Campbell. Well, yes. Nev Campbell kind of continues, a little, but in one franchise, really. That's true. And, uh, you know, Skeet, you could say Skeet, is also, you know, has been in a couple of things into the 2000s. And then, of course, made his cameo in the latest Scream. At this point in his career, at least what I can see on like social media and stuff like that, he's really holding on to things like Scream, right? Mm. Like that's what he does now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, <clears throat> you know, you have, you have one major role and that's that's what you have for your life. But as an actor, that's got to fucking suck. But he's real fucking douchey in this movie. I can't. That character just bothers the fuck out of me. It does. You know, but it's, it's supposed to be like a stereotypical just like douche canoe of a guy yeah. from high school. He's, he's got, a stand-in for every bad experience a girl has with a guy, basically. Yeah, he's definitely that's that archetype of that kind of person that you would find in high school. Like the the fucking slut, slutty male jock. And it works whatever. because like what he has to go through essentially is horrible. And, you know, they basically turn him into a fucking zombie. Mm-hmm. Which ends up, you know, you don't actually end up really blaming him for what he does because it's a spell. But if he had been like a really nice guy that just kind of wasn't interested, then we would have felt really bad and worse about the witches. And that's true. And I'm, I'm glad they didn't do something like that. Yeah. They set yeah. him up to where we wouldn't mind when he, you well, know, went through it. Whenever they're, whenever they're first like discovering their powers as a group, you know, like you're kind of rooting for them because you want these things to happen. Like you want people to get comeuppance. You want Bonnie to lose her scars. You know what I mean? And the, the only one that you really are not like truly fucking behind from the get go is Nancy. Cause she is selfish and just wants power. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I was kind of rooting for Nancy, right. Especially, you know, after seeing her living situation and what she's been through, of course, with Chris Hooker as well, it's yeah. alluded to, you know, and then she kind of just gets power hungry, you know, and then she starts getting nasty like the other girls. You know, she starts wearing the excessive lip liner and <laughs> ignoring traffic laws. The fucking, are you scared? <laughs> you know, you can tell that she's made a full circle on just like narcissistic, power hungry bitch. Yeah. When she tells Bonnie and uh, Rochelle that she's going to slit their fucking throats if they don't go after mm-hmm. Sarah. And uh, yep, she she is. She's like a full, full bitch by then. And crazy. Like, I mean, like she the power is like a fucking mob boss or something. I, yeah. The, the power is like totally getting to her, you know, but. I don't, I don't know. I, and her living situation is terrible. True. Yeah. Right. I just feel like the spell that she cast wasn't really about her living situation so much. Well, I guess you could say like, you know, rising above something like that is gaining power. Right. But that's kind of a stretch. <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines in the, in the movie is actually delivered by uh, uh, Rachel Drew mm. as Rochelle. And she was like, 
I don't know. Her spell isn't working. I th- think it's something to do with that she doesn't want to be white trash anymore. But I was like, girl, you're white. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh. Uh, the Skeet Ulrich, too. He has like this, the douchiest fucking I'm going to kiss you pickup line or whatever. Oh. And I, I can't remember what it is right now. And that makes me mad because at the time I was like, I need to remember this. <laughs> Because I might just use it. <laughs> your like, head or whatever. You oh, have a pretty yeah. head. Or no, yeah. I've just noticed your head. I thought I was going to go to a different place. I thought yeah. it was going to be like, give me head or something like that. But no, it was like, I just want to kiss your head or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, what? I'm just like, what is he saying? And then by the end of it, I was just like, I go to bars. I can say that to anybody. <laughs> like, but that's actually like going back a few steps back to Nancy Down's character. It's alluded to that her her spell about getting power is different, possibly, than uh, what happens to her family, right? Because I feel like she's reading a book and I think we see the page and it's alluded that she poisoned her dad. Or caused, yes, caused something to happen, yeah. right? I, 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 she's if she's reading that book that was given to Sarah. But then they right? alluded anyway when she's like staring at her dad as mm-hmm. he, or her stepdad as he has his heart attack, like she had caused it right then in the moment too. Okay. So there's multiple angles that she, you know, obviously got this through, you know, pain and suffering. Yes. I mean, there are, I just like, as, as the movie grows on, she just has the taste for, for more, more power and whatnot. And I feel like she goes for all those things at the detriment of others. Yeah. So. But moving on at past Skeet Ulrich, we had Brecken Meyer as Mitt, which is his friend, his short friend. But he was also in Clue, Clueless. He's in Clueless. And I think he's like he's like in a movie that's coming out soon, like as a romantic lead, too. Brecken Meyer has stuck around. Yeah. He does a lot of independent work. You know, he was a recognizable face in the 90s. Super recognizable to me because I I really have always loved Brecken Yeah, Meyer. I have a weirdest crush on him. For same. Hard same. Man, back in the 90s, anytime I saw Brecken Meyer, I was like, he's just cute. Yes. You know, you just want to like squeeze his cheeks and kiss him for a minute. He's not like hot. You know what I mean? But he's like cute. I yeah. Then we have Christine Taylor as Laura Lizzie, or as we said in the synopsis, Laura Lizzie. <laughs> I love Christine Taylor. I just love, I love her in anything that she's fucking in. I loved her in uh, the Brady Bunch movies. She's as the Marcia. perfect Marsha. She is. She's just good. And she's funny. She is. Like she's a, she's a really good comedic actress. And I forgot like how much of a fucking cunt her character is in this movie. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to dislike Christine Taylor, you know, like it just, it doesn't come naturally to me when I see her, but she's fucking awful. She's yeah. awful. Her character is awful in this movie. But Jan, you don't have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> don't take our mom. Take Jan. <laughs> <laughs> I love those movies. Oh, my nose. People I know. are sleeping on those movies. Uh, for real. So The Brady I, Bunch movies. I was watching The Craft, and it ended. I had started it early. I was like, oh, I have time to watch something else tonight. And the first thing that popped into my mind was, I want to watch the Brady Bunch movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, the loosest of connections. But I was just like, I haven't seen that in a long time either. It's so weird because you'd think it would be just like a tongue-in-cheek version. But no, it goes way past that. You know, with the Brady Bunch. Oh, it's just so <laughs> like, good. like demonic voices in Jan's mind. Oh, Jan! <laughs> it's the goofiest movie. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha! And I had such a good time when I was a kid watching it. I need to watch it again. Yeah. So bad. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, we've got Helen Shaver as Grace Downs. And she was on a show in the 90s called Poltergeist, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, not based on the movie, but kind of Poltergeist like a, Legacy or whatever yeah, the fuck it was called. Kind of like yeah. an X Files ish type of thing, but it was a team. Right. I was like seeing her. 
Uh, Asamta Serna as Lirio, who I, I'd sworn I'd seen before, but I looked at her IMDb and I, I couldn't see anything else that I'd seen her in. She runs the, the occult shop. She was super believable in that role, too. She was great. I think she was perfectly cast in this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, William Newman as a street preacher, who I don't I don't know, but I included Brenda Strong here as the doctor. Uh, apparently, she's like six foot four or something like that. Uh, and I remember watching like the the director's commentary on it and saying like she was like one of the best actresses, like the most pleasant actresses to work with in his career. She's a gentle giant. Yes, and she's also plays the uh, captain of the ship in Starship Troopers. Oh yeah, yeah. She gets crushed by the door. That's right. I remember her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little fun fact there. Early. A fun, an early fun fact. So Rachel True and Feruza Balk were the first to be cast in the respective roles. Okay. And Robin Tooney was initially cast in the role of Bonnie. But the producers decided that she would be a better in the starring role of Sarah, which she was persuaded to accept despite preferring the former, interestingly. She wanted to be Bonnie. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. What's a much smaller part? Yeah, maybe she just wants to be wanted to be like those more side supporting characters. She just wanted to blend. She was that on, I guess, <laughs> on Empire Records, you know. Uh, yeah. I if Liv Tyler was up for any of these. I would, probably, I would imagine. I mean, she is a supporting character in Empire Records, but that's more of an ensemble. You know what I mean? It is very much. Although and I would say Liv Tyler was a little bit bigger. She, yeah, she's kind of the lead, but I feel like I feel like Robin Tooney's the standout in that movie. Just like well, because she shaves her head. Yeah. Know? So, or whatever. I, mean, I don't watch that too. Maybe, maybe I'm going to do a Brady Bunch movie Empire Records double feature. Yeah. And uh, Neve Campbell, which is, of course, the most well known of the four actresses for her role on Party of Five, was then cast as Bonnie. Okay. I mean, I, I, I also would like to know like, who, uh, who was up for some of these roles. I feel like, I feel like that'd be an interesting conversation. There were a lot of like it, it actors and actresses. Oh, there was a lot. And I have that coming up in fun facts. Thank God. Good. (laughs) (laughs) So just going through this movie, I had just some notes randomly because this doesn't have like a lot of like, to me, it doesn't have a lot of interesting like production or background history. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather talk about the movie itself. Kind of like we did with Heather's, you know? And so like, I remember thinking like, we need to like keep, start keeping track of these fucking houses in these movies because that was one of my favorite fucking houses I've ever seen, you know, and we need that to do that top 10 horror real estate. We really do. Cause I I think we've come up with 10 at this point. It's going to take us forever to go back and try to remember, but I completely agree with you because I put that in my notes when I was jotting things down, watching the movie. I was like, this is an amazing house. And I love that her stepmom walks in and like the roof is fucking leaking and shit. And she's like, oh, the damask curtains will go perfect here. And I'm like, bitch, y'all roof about to cave in. I was just like, I said something completely different in that moment. And I talked out loud too. What did you say? I said, damask is out, out, out. (laughs) (laughs) I was much more gay. (laughs) Yes. That's pretty fucking queer. I'm not sure what damask is. I'm not getting enough for that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either, but I just wanted to say it. Um, so <laughs> to me, it's it, it can be a material, but like when I see dam, when I think of damask, I think of like the thick stripes, right? You know, and kind of like a, a almost a silken material. And like if you get like damask stripe or whatever, like bed sheets that was really popular, like in the mid thousands. Anyway, whatever. Okay. Sorry, I mean, I'll look that up <laughs> later on and see if I want those curtains or not. But yeah, that house is amazing. And I think this was like maybe maybe my first foray. Like I think there's some, been some other movies and things like that with like you know Dead Poet Society where it's kind of like that. But like this was my first time where I've seen like people actually like going to mass at school. Like the Catholic school was an interesting experience for me, and I think it was really interesting as like a juxtaposition between like the witchcraft and what they were doing. 
I was just about to to add that in. I was just like, I'm really glad they said this in a Catholic school only because it does like have that like polar sides of what the what the girls are doing and where they sort of like spend most of their time. And right? I would have been interested to see more of a juxtaposition there, like someone at the school that represented, you know, that part of life, the Christianity, you know, or something like that. And and their uh answer or position on witchcraft and what they were doing. And it would have been interesting, but I like that ultimately they kept it out so that it's kind of um the witchcraft piece of this has kind of kept it its own moral space. Well, yeah. And I, with I think good and bad, you know, and the, and the perspective being from morality uh, being explained by Lyria, which is like nature is good and evil because nature is both, you know, everything is both. That's how the natural word works. And so magic is neither just good or just evil. It depends on your perspective and the person that's casting the spells. And I think that's a better message than saying this is wrong because it's in the Bible. Yes, no, I completely agree with you. And, and I mean, like like we talked about earlier in the intro, you know, they had that that Wiccan on set or whatever to make sure that things were like done respectfully. Yeah. Um, because this is a true religion. And a lot of people, you know, subscribe to that belief, ascribe to that belief, whichever is correct. But yeah, I think they're very careful in this movie to to separate it from anything demonic or anything equal because they have serious character flat out ask them, do you guys worship the devil? And they're like, no, my no. You know, whatever. except like on Nancy's mirror, she has like all these pictures of the devil yeah. on her mirror. I, yes. I mean, but of course she does. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's just the character and a noose in her locker. I was going to say, I was literally just about to say that. I was like, of course she has a fucking noose in her locker. Like when she, and she like leaves it out, you know, after she closes the door, I was like, but that's just that character. She just goth. Yeah. She's the epitome of nineties goth. Well, and I think she's going to be my next Halloween costume, actually. Oh, yeah. Ready. I'm, I'm going to go around with your picture and like a white ribbon. And I'm just going to follow you around. <laughs> You're just going to bind me all night long? <laughs> I bind you, Robert. I bind you, Robert, from doing harm to others and harm to yourself. <laughs> Put down that beer. <laughs> and then so, you lunge at me like a fucking Muppet. <laughs> throw that beer in your face. <laughs> Stop binding me. <laughs> Like all night long. Stop doing spells on me, Chris. <laughs> so we need to talk about that soundtrack. Oh my god, I love this soundtrack so much. So when when I first saw this movie in the theater, I was obsessed with the music. I had to run out buy the fucking soundtrack, and I had a whole fucking moment like all summer long. Yeah, it was the craft soundtrack, like over and over and over again. It's all I listen. It's to. so good, and it kicks off with Our Lady Peace's uh, cover of the Beatles' "Tomorrow Never Knows." Which is an excellent song. Is that is that the Beatles proper or is that Paul McCartney or I don't know because I, I like I, I really know this version of the song more than I do the original. Listen to the color of your dreams. And it kicks off like that. And the, you know, we get that nineties, you know, clouds. <laughs> oh my god. Clouds cover title cards. It's like never ending story all over again. Look around. And the fucking font. Did you notice like the the credits, the opening credits font? I was just like, what is this? Yeah. I was just like <laughs> I was like, you're already taking me out of the movie with this very nineties font. <laughs> Do this. It's all papyrus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there's so many good songs on this soundtrack. Like literally every single song is good. This movie should have been called Bitchcraft. <laughs> Bitchcraft. <laughs> Jesus Christ. My favorite song from the soundtrack is Dangerous Type by like Literacy Cleo.
and they play that during all the like runway stomp through the school looking like bad bitches yeah. you know what I mean and it's just it's a good montage song it sounds great it's also it's also a cover it's a cover of a car song so I just fucking love it and um, there's a random Jewel song on this soundtrack before she really blew up and it's yeah. like it is the the poppiest piece of shit ever like Jewel has so many good songs my hands are my own that's not one of her really good ones, but, <laughs> but this one she's like under the water I'm like what the fuck is this but it works and I love it yeah it also has I Have the Touch by Heather Nova Heather Nova's great and uh uh, Dark Secret is probably one of my favorites. Usually, like, growing up, Tomorrow Never Knows was my absolute standout favorite from this mm-hmm. soundtrack. But Dark Secret, I love it. It's like that red right hand track on Scream. You know, it's uh, Dark Secret by Matthew Sweet is, like, one of my favorite. You are sickened by the weakness Of a heart that's They're all walking to the beach about to do the invocation. There's something bittersweet about it. There's something, you know, foreboding about it. Uh I love it. And, uh, of course, this launched the iconic, you know, cover of How Soon Is Now by Love's Bit Love. right it's the cover of a smith song <clears throat> which i also love the original of this one but this song just really fucking exploded in pop culture right especially around witchcraft oh yeah definitely it became kind of like i think they used it in the trailer i don't know uh yeah i guess well, maybe we should watch the trailers before we record these because so we, we can put talk them about in the them? episode mm-hmm. and sometimes we're proved right and sometimes we're proved wrong but it got kind of that was the song how soon is now got it kind of slapped with this movie and associated with this movie as its song, even though it's used kind of in a weird place, like during football practice. You yeah. Know, it's, it's very much a background song, yeah. you know, but from the sound of it, so I mean like how soon is now and dark secret both have these really percussive intros. Right. Yeah. And um, they're just interesting sounding songs. Right. I don't think that they're used in the best places in this movie, but I mean, they both really took off, especially this one. And I mean, it just became synonymous with anything having to do with witches. Yeah, we were we were doing this offline, but it was like, how do you actually like hum how soon is now like that intro? You can't. You have to be like, I mean, that's the only way. It takes two people. I am the sun. I am the air. And the air <laughs> of a shyness that is criminal. Oh, I am the sun. I'm nothing in particular. <laughs> you shut your mouth. How can you How say can I? Damn it. We're gonna... <laughs> I am human and I need to be loved. Just like every other Muppet does. Okay. <laughs> Should I just hit my mic? I was so excited. <laughs> So anyway, uh, let's move on. Yeah, I can't. I could sit here and talk about the fucking soundtrack forever, but that's just a different podcast. So maybe, maybe we should do a bonus episode where we just go through track by track and just like talk about every fucking song. Yeah. You're welcome, patrons. So this movie got an R rating. 
which I did not expect it. Uh, But Andrew Fleming states in the DVD commentary that a PG-13 rating was sought after and expected, but they followed all the guidelines to earn that rating. But the final outcome was that the film was rated R because the film dealt with teenage girls using witchcraft. Witchcraft was the only thing they needed in the 90s. So stupid. Yeah. And I feel like. I feel like this movie was popular, right? Yeah. I mean, at the time, it made money, obviously. I think it would have made a lot more with PG-13. If it were PG-13, this movie would have exploded. Yeah. Like every fucking teenage goth girl, if they could just get into this movie without a parent, you know what I mean, would have latched onto this movie. I don't remember many goth people before this movie, honestly. This movie like manufactured a goth movement. I think it certainly All helped. these little girls, like, yeah, they all wanted to be... Like in Wicca exploded all of a sudden Barnes and Noble had like whole sections on like witchcraft, you know, like this, it went, it was like a movement after this movie came out. It was. And I mean, and I, I, I still stand by it. I think that if this movie were PG 13 while it was in the theater, yes, I think it would have been even huger than what it was. Right. But you know, when this movie was released on DVD, I think that it gained a lot more of an audience too. And then like people who just couldn't get to see it at the theater flocked to it and watched it. And it was, it was a big thing. I don't remember a lot of people when I was in high school who didn't like this movie. Yeah. Maybe it was just the circles that I ran in, you know, but it, I mean, this is like, this is a fucking teen movie. Yeah. Must've been the covens that you ran in. <laughs> all the covens that I ran in, all them witches. <laughs> <laughs> when all you mean girls stared at that woman falling down the stairs. That was just, we made it happen. <laughs> I know, probably. I'm like, it was that moment. I was like, I gotta form, I gotta form a circle. Like, what did I just do? <laughs> I just needed to laugh. <laughs> I was sad that day. I need to see someone fall down. <laughs> anyway, uh, should we talk about some of the themes? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot. It's very, very similar to Heather's. Yeah, obviously it it has a lot to do with teenage angst and their their angsty teenage bullshit. Now it's a body count. That's right. (laughs) Of course, their angst is not just like purely like uh, high school drama driven like Heather's is. No, a lot of it is home life and just like actual actual drama problems like racism and burn scars, you know, and alcoholic, abusive stepfathers and things like that. And it's a lot, I mean, it's a lot more emotional. Their angst is a lot more emotional. It's a lot more realistically based. But right? it's, yes, and it's much better that way because there's, it feels like there's more real stakes, right? Yes. Real world stakes versus the stupid Heather's bullshit, uh, which I, of course I, I'm not shitting on Heather's. I'm just saying like it was, I think, purposely written that their problems were kind of vapid, right? Yes. To, to create that satire versus this is not a satire. No, no, no. This is just a straightforward movie, right? And um, I, the, the main difference, and I think that we're going to talk about this in some of the themes, <clears throat> is that like the angst in Heather's really comes from the fact that you know Veronica doesn't like her friends, right? And that is not the case in this movie. Yeah. These women actually form a very solid, close friendship. Yeah, for the most part, yes. Yeah. I mean, until until shit got bad, you know, like they had they had a group and they felt empowered around each other in a way that the Heathers plus Veronica didn't make each other feel at all. I I don't think that any of the Heathers liked each other. They just hung out because they were rich and had the same name. Right. Uh, But we do still see some of those like high school archetypes. Oh, totally. You have to have it. Yeah. For it to be any kind of uh, realistic. And of course we have like female friendships and feminine pain and power, right? This, there is some sort of femininity and um, uh, female power message in this movie, but it does like the reviewer said, kind of get a little lost. And I feel like that's not really what it's super about. I feel like it's a little bit more of a point on agency. Okay. Yeah. And how far that can go. I would agree with that. 
mean, and I, I feel like that reviewer that we talked about earlier kind of like hit the nail on the head, right? Like there is something at its core about like femininity and, and female friendships and female empowerment and empowering other females, right? Because yeah. I feel like in lots and lots of movies, when we see women interacting with each other, it's always some sort of like competition, right? That's just what is always presented. And we don't always get movies about like females empowering each other. And this movie really has that. But that reviewer is right. And I think you also just sort of said it, it gets lost along the way. And this movie becomes about something else entirely. Well, also their pain, like a lot of their pain, like the burn scars, that's not a gendered problem. No. Right. Racism isn't a gendered problem. Um, living with an alcoholic stepfather isn't necessarily a gendered problem. Um, you know, and because of that, you know, I think it, because the problem, like the only person with kind of a gendered problem is our main character, Robin Tooney, right. Who really seems to go through something that seems fairly typical, which is, you know, being called a fucking slut, you know, for not doing anything, you know, and even if she had had sex, you know, who cares? That's fucking sex. Yeah. Stop the slut shaming. Yeah. So slut shaming is a real gendered problem. It really Definitely. is. And it's certainly not something that guys, because of sexism, um, guys don't have to really deal with. No, that's, that's right. Of the gay community. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I think that we have to deal with that sometimes, but um, I don't think we saw a lot of that in, in film in the 90s, especially about teenagers. I think like a lot of teenage television dealt with some of that a lot better or more often. But yeah, I mean, there but there are. I, I do I, I do still like the the female friendship part of this and the 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 like female empowerment. I feel like it I feel like it's there and I it is. I felt it. The empowerment is there. Yes. You know, and, and the agency is there, but it also shows like the darker side. Yeah. You know, taking things too far. Um and then also perspective. And I think it has actually a really good moral lesson based based on what Lirio was saying, was it's like it's all about intention. You know, mm-hmm. are you doing this to get yourself out of a bad situation, you know, or are you doing this to lash out and cause pain? And that's true. I think that's true of lots of things in life, not just magic, right? Not, Obviously. Like I said, hurt people hurt people, you yeah. know, and it shows that <clears throat> kind of elegantly. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's the kind of part that kind of rises through. But it's about a lot of things. And it's just like life. It's complex and mixed around and, you know, together. That's true. And I'm not sure that a lot of people would grab any of that message out of this movie because some people are just watching it as a fun sort of like which movie ride. But I think that there are things to there's things being said in this movie, especially for like teenagers at that particular time period. I don't know. It's very my so-called life. Yeah. I feel like today, maybe some of that, they they put some LGBT spin on it. I feel like today, if they made this movie and I haven't seen the craft legacy, so I don't know if they did change something, but I feel like maybe like lesbianism might Mm -hmm. be a part of this. You know, Um, I feel like, you know, an interesting story would have been to be like one of these people are going through like coming out or they're dealing with lesbianism or something. That's something that sets them apart in different ways other than kind of like situations that have been placed on them, like being burnt in a car accident, you know, or things like that. Things that actual teenagers deal with a little bit more with a little bit more normalcy today. But then the movie would have turned into something else. No, I agree. It would have turned into something else. And I feel like also given the time period in which this movie was made, I, I mean, like, obviously we were treated to, to gay characters on TV, right? A lot more often than we were in film, right? TV in the 90s was a going, little bit kind of still thin on the ground. I think Will yeah. Grace didn't come out until like 98. We had like Melrose Place and stuff like that. Who yeah. Had like a central gay character. Yeah. Yeah. And usually all of these people were like, you know, dying of AIDS or something at this point still. Or they were just relegated to like a sexless non-existence, yeah. you know? But I feel like I feel like if this movie were made today 
And again, like I like you said, I have not seen this re- reboot, right? So I don't know if they added it in there. But I feel like if it were made today, it would certainly feature some sort of lesbianism. Yeah. And, you know, I also want to talk about magic and witchcraft a little bit, but I don't know how much because I feel like magic and witchcraft isn't really dealt with. It's dealt with respectfully, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and kind of subtly. But it's it's also not, you know, certainly not devil worship. It would be very easy for Hollywood to just do another movie about devil worship or the powers of a demon or something like that. And this is more interesting, right? Because it could be used as a, used like a tool and it's a tool of the plot as well of empowerment. I agree. I mean, we have movies. We already have movies where like witchcraft is a little bit more demonic, right? It's more like Rosemary's Baby, yeah. you know, like where it's an actual cult performing witchcraft and magic and like summoning the devil and things like that. And you're right. Like this is done uh, way more respectfully. And what they're summoning, what they're invoking really is just like the power of everything around them. Right. Mana is like a different kind of omniscient yeah being it's not even a being it's just like the tangible things that make up everything or whatever atoms yeah. so i don't know there's but, also um, the aspect of of racism that i feel like it was kind of shoehorned in and only kind of in hindsight because when you're watching the movie it seems to make sense right but it's only like ironic because years later uh we were talking about this offline rachel true opened up about how she was often ignored by yep. the promotional materials despite being one of the film's leads and she was forgotten by press junkets until one of her co-stars phoned the studio to get them to include her she was also the only one of the four actresses to not be invited to the mtv movie awards that year this has stayed the same even today like when they are talking about reunions of this movie or showing up for conventions or things like that oftentimes rachel true is not invited and she has been very verbal about it as of late, right? Especially in there's a really good horror documentary called Horror Noir that talks about like African American experience through horror. And like she talks about it in that, you know? I mean, like she she was treated terribly, terribly, terribly racist by everything external to this movie. Yeah. Right. Which is ridiculous. And ironic. And ironic. That was her, yeah. Because that was the whole like through line of her fucking character, right? You would think that people were like, okay, let's let's go out of our way or whatever to to shine a light on what these people are actually experiencing in high school or these these kids, right? And I, she was just treated so unfairly, and it's ridiculous. Well, it's to me. really also a very good example, real world example of like that silent racism, mm-hmm. the unconscious bias, right? Because I don't think that she was just being like actively, intentionally ignored. No, I think she was being ignored through like this unintentional uh, unconscious bias and silent racism that so many people, you know, that's so rife in society that people aren't just, aren't really consciously aware of. And they're making these decisions and like kind of skimming over these people because all they remember is the white people or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so it's like a really good example of that. And I think that, you know, the louder she talks about it, the better. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that she should, I feel like, I feel like she should be out there doing things on her own, you know? I mean, because, like f- from what I've seen like online or in documentaries or what what she has said, right. She still really supports this movie and likes her place in it and whatnot. And she has something to say. Yeah. And I, I feel like she needs to be given that voice more often. And I hope that since she's being more vocal, that it makes some sort of a change for her because I think that her experience is a really good lesson for, for people to learn. So should we talk about the elephant in the room? Which one is that? Charmed. Oh, God. Yes, I think we have to with this movie. Yeah. So in 2017, Andrew Fleming stated that Charmed, which was, you know, started in 1998, ripped off this film, obviously. So Fleming revealed that he wrote a a pilot 
based on the movie for Fox, in which the WB was also strongly interested, and that it was his idea to have the How Soon Is Now as its title theme. The pilot was not picked up, and the following year, Charmed premiered. Oh. Furthermore, Robin Tooney stated the ripoff was completely obvious to the point that people would think I was on Charmed for years after. <laughs> What's, I mean, it's no, it's obvious that they cast people who looked a lot like Robin Tooney, right? All the brunettes in Charmed, right? Those sisters. Those sisters three. But I have to say, I really enjoyed Charmed. I liked it a lot when it was on Yeah, TV. it ran a little long in the tooth. I felt like they yeah. just had to start inventing weird like stuff and upping their own game and, you know, creating new well, you know, they, hierarchies of demons, to, you know, and, and, you know, weird shit with white lighters and whatever. Well, and that when they had to, when they brought that random fourth sister in to replace Shannon Doherty, you know, like, I was just like, okay, that seems like a jump the shark moment or well, something. That's a whole other conversation because that actress has been very vocal about certain things and hates Alyssa Milano and like this whole drama with that and like whatever. I mean, Caddy, but I don't know. I really, I, but when Charmed came on, like I was, I was still kind of like on the the craft high because I watched the craft a lot when I was younger, right, as a teenager. And then when Charmed came on, I liked it a lot, and I was just like, there's similarities, obviously, outside of its theme song. But I mean, I can't fault the WB for cashing in on something that's popular, especially with teenagers. Right. I think, I think it happens a lot in Hollywood anyway. They kind of dumbed it down a little bit. Like the story that took some of the ambiguity out, they put like a little bit more of a Christian perspective on it. And like, well that, and they the made, angels and demons and all that stuff. Yeah. There's lots of demons. There's mon- there's monsters of the week and yes. so on and so forth. And, and their powers are like naturally given. It's not something that they went and sought out. Right. Like, yeah. like they did in the craft um, or at course, least most of the characters in the craft. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was a different, they're not high schoolers, you know, there's a lot of differences, you know, and their sisters versus, you know, so it's like, it's like watching the craft post-graduation, right? Except that they're a family. Yeah. They're sisters. I mean, so maybe it's not completely ripped off. I mean, witchcraft is not a concept that, that Andrew Fleming came up with when he wrote. They also changed enough, I think to, to, to do it. But like the fact that, you know, they still used a lot of that basis. Like I don't think charmed would exist without the craft. Of course not. And supernatural wouldn't exist without charmed. That's also very true. And that's the thing is that like, it just played off popularity. The thing that came before all of this is fucking Buffy. That's, that is also very true. So, I mean, like there's a lineage and you, you can almost pinpoint why shows are popular or when they came on the air or whatever. But we have shows like Buffy, shows like Charm, shows like Supernatural ran for a very, very long time. Yeah. Right. They were insanely popular. And while I don't think there would be a Charmed without the craft, I feel like if Charmed existed in a vacuum, it still would have been popular. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I maybe just like the, the way that people like put the tooth together has maybe just a lot to do with that song. Yeah. Well. That was his idea. And they ripped it off. Yeah, and they did. I hope he got something later on. Probably not. Probably not. Poor Andrew Fleming. You have any fun facts for me? I do. Okay. What are they? So 85 other actresses screen tested for the four main roles. <laughs> oh my God. Including Angelina Jolie. Okay. Who went on to do Hackers <laughs> or had done Hackers. I don't know. Scarlett Johansson, who I, I would have thought would have been way too young. Yeah. I don't see that. Although everyone in this movie that ended up getting these roles were their their twenties, I was gonna say nobody was. The and I think age. Rachel True was twenty nine. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Shit. And Alicia Silverstone. Oh no, she would have been way too like. She would have played a good Leslie. Whatever yeah. her name is. I mean, because she was already kind of a Laura Leslie or whatever. She, I don't see her playing a witch. Yeah, I don't. She plays a vampire later on in her career, which I still need to see. What the fuck movie is that? Vamps. I don't think I've seen that either. 
I need to see it. So the character of Rochelle was rewritten to be black when True was cast, uh, incorporating racism, the racism subplot as the character's major conflict. And Rachel True didn't find out that Rochelle's subplot had been changed until after she was cast. And she was initially unsure about the racially charged bullying, but years later, she felt it was important that the film included it. I agree. Yes. So the crew had to return to the location uh, a second time to complete filming um, interrupted by several weird occurrences that even caused witch consultant Pat Devon to raise an eyebrow. So as the fog rolled in at midnight, this is the beach location. Mm -hmm. The four actresses used actual Wiccan rites and language to invoke powerful forces. And then as Rosa Balk's character, Nancy attempts to invoke the deity Manon, a flock of bats hovered over the set and the tide rose dramatically extinguishing the circle of candles. Witchcraft consultant Devon recalls that Meno, a fictitious, uh, fictitious creation of the film, sounds very close to Mananon, uh, the Gaelic god of the sea. And luckily, we weren't all swept to sea. Oh my <laughs> director Andrew Fleming is quoted as saying, quote, every time the girls started the ceremony, and only when they would start the ceremony, the waves would start coming up tremendously fast, pounding heavily. Then, right when Nancy says her line, Meno, fill me, Right at that exact moment, we lost power. It was very strange. Oh, my God. That's interesting as fuck. Yeah. I love shit like that. I love it, too, because it, it always seems to come out of these movies, you know, like Poltergeist with their the curse. And mm-hmm. then uh, I think, like, one of the, my favorite stories, of course, from The Passion of the Christ, which I think that the Jim Caviezel, I think, was struck by lightning three times. Something like that. During that movie. I mean, that should have been a sign to stop what you are doing, Mel. Can't stop, won't stop. So, finally... The girl's clothing starts out very plain and modest, with Robin Tooney joking that the studio were getting worried at how dowdy they appeared in the first act. And as their powers grew, it's reflected in their wardrobe, becoming more flattering. Rachel True joked that as their powers grew, their skirts shrunk. That it did. And so did their shirts. Yep. You know what I mean? The more powerful they got, the more cleavage we saw in this movie. And there's cleavage abound. And I don't know how problematic that is, or if it is at all. You know, it's a little For them sexist, to be more but... confident, you know, but like from whose perspective i mean i I can see it either way you know what i mean i can see it as like a a cash grab to like get get teen guys to come and watch this movie too but i can also see it we're already talking about female empowerment and we can go ahead and just throw body positivity right in there with that yeah right and i i feel like if if someone is scarred like bonnie's character is and the scars are gone i would do the exact same thing I would be showing so much skin and stuff like that and be proud of who I am and whatnot and live your life, you know? And so I really, I love, 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 love the fashion in this movie toward the latter half. Yes. It's like, it's iconic. It's iconically nineties. And I, I feel like, I feel like it really shows you like what, what nineties fashion kind of was at that time period in ways that other movies don't like scream. Doesn't do that. I think so too. Although like you kind of, hit on something that kind of reminded me of what some of the reviewers said about the first half of the movie versus the second. And I feel like the first half of the movie is super economical and like a really good storytelling and it's very substance over style. And then like it starts to segue into style over substance as the characters get more narcissistic and vapid, you know? And so it's like really interesting way they do that story structurally as well as stylistically for what's actually on the screen. That is really fucking interesting. I did not even think about that. So, but it's, I mean, I don't, it's great. I really, I really, really dig the clothes toward the end of this movie. Yeah. Like there are some things that I would just buy myself. Like Nancy has these fucking like sunglasses that I just fucking love. These red sunglasses. And I was like, <laughs> I got to have them. Like, I don't know. You are the weirdo, mister. I am the weirdo. Those were fun. I really enjoyed that one about the witchcraft part. 
That's super interesting to me. That's something I would look up on my own. Uh, but we have some questions to ask about the craft like we do about every movie that we cover. And we are going to start with, is the craft a horror movie? Uh, yes, but I think we have an opportunity to talk about this in a way that we normally don't, right? We usually argue for things that are kind of segueing into horror in some way or overlapping into horror in some way with horror adjacency. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there are some horror movies that you could say the opposite for. They're maybe not as horror as you think they are. I think a lot of people would lump this in with horror, right? And I think most people do without even thinking about it. But I feel like this, like outside of the supernatural elements, how much of a horror movie is this really? It's not, you know? And so it's a lot more adjacent than people think. And so it's like interesting to think about this film through the lens of genre. And uh, this is a good argument to say like, hey, maybe this is a little bit less of a horror movie than most people think. And that we can start thinking about, you know, not pigeonholing uh, our movies necessarily too harshly. Yes. To not like put them in a certain category just based upon like something that's subsequently or whatever's just in it. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like they I feel like things were put into this movie to make it more adjacent. I think that certainly the last act. Yeah, I feel like they realized that it wasn't horror enough for the subject matter. And they're like, we have to add these things in. And some of the things that they added in, I'm like, you don't really need to have these moments, right? Like when when the girls like fly through the window in that dream sequence, right? And I was just like, this is silly. It's a little Witches of Eastwick. It's a little hocus pocusy. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, you don't, you don't. And they're obviously trying to make it kind of scary right at least from the perspective of sarah's character right but it doesn't work as a horror moment you know it's kind of laughable and even the like the parts with like the rats and the snakes and the maggots which i fucking hate you know i was just like all these things do not make this a horror movie just because they have horror elements right and i feel like when we talk about horror adjacency we really are talking about movies that are unintentionally horrific Right. And here we have something that already has horror elements at its core because it's about witchcraft and what is traditionally like witchcraft movies are typically horror movies. And they went out of their way to try to make it a horror movie when they didn't have to do that. It could have just been a teen drama and left it at that. Exactly. So to the answer to the question, yes and no. It's a horror movie, but is it a horror movie for the right reasons? Yeah. I feel like Heather's is more of a horror movie than most people think. And craft is less of a horror movie than most people think, but it still has horror adjacency. Yep. It does. And I would, I would agree with that. I don't know if there's any, so what, you know, here, yeah, and there doesn't have to be. No, there doesn't. And I just, I still like the fact that like, we're, we're not afraid to talk about horror adjacency on this podcast. So, yeah. and we will continue to do so. Right. Uh, were you scared watching the craft? You know, I think when I was maybe like the first time watching it, you know, like there was some jump scares, like with the the snake guy at the beginning, yeah. um, you know, and there's some tension, you know, and some so a little bit of a jump outs, you know, when you don't expect things to happen at the very end in the last act. And of course, there's people that are afraid of spiders and snakes and maggots and, yeah. and everything else, you know, and that certainly requires a lot of planning. And I don't think was shoehorned in. I think they had, you know, planned that and they had to have like a maquette of like Feruza Balk uh, and then superimpose that over her actual footage to show like the maggots coming out of her mouth and everything else. And there's some CG with her fingers turning into snakes and weirdness like that, you know, but um, those are some definitely horrific moments. Um, I don't know that any of that bothered me. I mean, like I the the toilet filled with maggots and that was like the most maggots I've ever seen on screen. You know what I mean? Like it's just fucking nasty. 
But it, that's all it is to me. It's just gross. You yeah. Know? I don't remember being scared by this movie. I certainly wasn't scared this time. I think like the most horrific parts of this movie are really like the psychological horror moments. Yeah. You know, obviously that racism aspect, but also at the very end there where they're, they kind of do that glamour of her parents actually dying and then try and get her to commit suicide and slash her wrists and everything else. And there's a suicide uh, portion to this movie with with her background, that character's background, you know, mm-hmm. that we actually didn't talk about. No, nope. you know, and so teenage suicide, don't, don't do, do it. it. But um, <laughs> you know, that was probably the worst. It was like you really feel like she's been beaten down, and she is she is like to the lowest that she can be when she is kind of put in that corner with suicide and death of her family and everything else. Yeah, and so there's a lot of stakes, and so I think they do that well, and it's there's a definitely disturbing her, uh, you know, psychological horror. I would agree with that. I, I mean, like that, that character, I mean, how many times is she going to hit rock bottom in her life? You know what I mean? Whether it's like just of her own mental well-being or what's put upon her. But yeah, that's, that's really, it's sad too. And I, the thing that I remembered while watching the movie on this rewatch is that when I was a kid and teenager, like what stuck out at the time was that there was a right and wrong way to slit your wrists. Right. It's not something that I had heard of before I saw this movie. And I don't know if it's true or not. I remember that too. Well, yeah. If you go sideways, you know, the, the veins or whatever will just like heal or clot or whatever. Versus if you slit them like laterally or longitudinally, I don't fucking know. Then there's a lot less, (laughs) there's a lot more damage to the actual vein because the vein is running vertically on your arm. Right. And so if you slash vertically, then you're actually going to be cutting. And that's what she had done. She kind of, she didn't really do it. Like she did it kind of diagonally. And I, I just, I jotted down in my notes while I was watching it this time. I was just like, this movie taught me that there's a right way to slit your wrist. And I was like, what a, what a fucking claim to fame yeah. for the craft. You yeah. Know? I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I mean, in hindsight, I think it's cringy today, you know? But I mean, as an angsty teen myself at the time, I'm just like, I don't know if it's yeah. cringy. Like, I, I felt like it was real for the characters to, to do that. These characters be like, she even did it the right way. You know, it tells us a lot economically about these characters. Yeah. I mean, I get that, too. I just I don't I don't know that I would like glorify it or something like that. But I don't know. That is a conversation that we forgot to have in the bulk of this episode. Yeah. So, well, since we just talked about a movie that was all about suicide. But. Uh, so out of five stars, what would you rate the craft? I rated it a three and a half on okay. this watch. I gave it four stars. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that's nostalgia boner because when the movie first started and um, I got, had not seen it in a very long time, I had, I had had a gummy and I was, I had like the most raging nostalgia boner for it. So, you know, and I was just like, I was really ready to watch it. And I was expecting to give it a higher than a four star rating. Same. But I, I was just like, nope, I think four stars is good. And even after I watched it, I was like, maybe four stars is too much. But I mean, I think like given, given the performances and given the fact that this movie is so fucking iconic for me, just as a kid of the nineties, right. Which again, plays in nostalgia. I just, I I think it's a good movie. And, And that reviewer who said that it's something that people should watch or whatever, like teenage girls, even today, I completely agree with that. I think that's still a relevant film. It is. Although, you know, watching Heather's watching this, like as I've gotten older, I've, I've gotten less and less natural empathy based on my own experience, you know, being less close to that age now, you know, of petty high school bullshit. And there's not a lot of petty high school bullshit in this film as a, like compared to like Heather's, which is making fun of, mm-hmm. you know, but like I have less patience for, you know, immaturity, you know, and a lot of them, like Nancy, you know, I I, th- I used to think of her as like this, like antihero. 
And now I look at her as very solidly a bad guy, you know, an antagonist. And I have less patience for her bullshit. And it makes a less enjoyable watch. There's a lot of dark kind of mean spirit, wet grit salad stuff in this movie. There really is. You know, and that kind of attracts the teen angst. But I don't have that anymore, you know. And so I watched the movie and some of it's a little bit um, uneven. But I still think like I'm still thinking about my score and thinking maybe I should bump it up to a four because it is, I think, a really good movie. But I I feel like because there's some hokey stuff in there now looking back and I'm less into it as far as like the 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 vibe of some (laughs) some of these people and how far they take things. um, You know, it's a solid three and a half for me now. Yeah, I mean, I would fall somewhere in between there. I'm I'm sticking with four for now and perhaps on another rewatch, maybe like the older I get. And we'll go down a little bit, you know, but iconic nonetheless. So finally, who's the hottest guy in the craft? Oh my God. Well, it's not Skeet Aldrich. She was hot in, in Scream. It's Breckenmeyer. It's Breckenmeyer. It is. It is. It's Breckenmeyer. <laughs> and there are some moments. Okay, so like the, he was hotter and less goofy in this movie than he was in Clueless. He was super goofy in Clueless. Um, and I there. Okay, so if you think about the relationship between those three male characters, right? So Skeet Ulrich, Breckenmeyer, and the other one, right? They seem unnaturally close as friends. You know what I mean? Like there's a scene where they're on the couch and it looks like that guy's head is like literally on Breckenmeyer's lap. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just get, I get these like gay vibes or whatever, like these experimental friendships. Gay gay vibes vibes. all over this movie. I mean, clearly maybe that's why I like it so much, but yeah, I don't know. Breckenmeyer, he's a cutie for reals and like a neighbor kind of way. Yeah. Guy next door. Boy next door. Thank you. That's much better. <laughs> neighbor. We're talking like fucking Mr. Rogers and shit. Jesus Christ. Won't you be my neighbor? Right <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful day in our neighborhood. I think that just about wraps up our conversation on the craft. As always, we would like to know what you think about this movie and our conversation about it. You can find us on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Bind me, listeners, and whip me. (laughs) Fill me, Manon. He's in me. He's still inside me. I can feel him inside me. <laughs> wow, your gifts. <laughs> Give me my gifts, man. All over my face. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I take it too far. <laughs> <clears throat> Guys, uh, we need some reviews. Uh, we like to read those on Shooting the Flame. So head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. And we will read that on Shooting the Flames or just send us a DM. Tell us why you like us. We'll read those things too. Yeah. And if you need more Film Flamers content, and we know that you do, head over to patreon.com slash the Film Flamers. We can get all of our bonus content, join the family, and help us pick movies to watch like our patrons did this month when we're covering Jennifer's Body. That's right. Frenemies galore. A lot of similarities between the movies that we're covering this month. That's right. Similarities fucking everywhere. Well, Chris... I think it's time for us to uh, go off and call the corners. You want to? You want to invoke my spirit? Earth, air, fire, water. Earth, air, fire, water. Earth, air, fire, water. Anyway. To the guardians of the north. (laughs) I beseech you. I don't. (laughs) 
God, I wanted to be a witch so bad when this movie came out. Shit. I need to go to Ye Old Shoppy. <laughs> Let's go to Ye Old Occult Shoppy. You want to? <laughs> and then we can come home and have some sweet dreams. You're not like your friends. Because you don't steal, apparently. She's a good girl. You could tell that she's the, the good girl because she doesn't thieve. She doesn't thieve Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> Five finger discount.